Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. We've been going through a series on Paul, and uh, this will be the eighth series that we have, the eighth one on it. And uh, if you want the title, be planning as Paul planned. And uh, any of you ever, you know, I think about 1974, I know that's a, a couple of years ago, <clears throat> uh, I was a senior, graduated, and I realized that. Uh, that I need to know my Bible better. So I decided, well, I'm going to go to... I asked my pastor, and he recommended a school in Birmingham, Alabama. I'd never been to Alabama. And my parents dropped me off, and I knew one person, and I saw him once that year. And anyway, my plan was to stay there one year, learn my Bible better, and then go in, into forestry and become a forest ranger. I love being outside. Well, I stayed there six years, and I never made it to forestry school. In, 19, in uh, 2001, I went to work at the refinery. My plan was to work 10 years. I had it originally set up that if you worked for the company 10 years, you were fully invested. You then could take the insurance with you and pay the regular amount that an employee would take, even though you weren't there anymore. Well, it took them two years to finally hire me. And after I'd been there eight more years, two years before, they sold the company new company since we've had changed names I worked for Sunoco, I worked for Holly, I worked for Holly Frontier, I worked for H.N. Sinclair and I've never changed locations and never changed my job you know. uh, so obviously they don't do any of that so you know what happens is how many of us have made plans but it didn't kind of work out the way that we had <laughs> and so I think about it in, you know, in 2024 was I right to stay at the refinery that long and those are all different questions that we have to ask ourselves at different times. And so, what I think of you, all of you, I think every one of you can have sim similar stories. And so, the question I think we can look at is let's look at Paul and the planning as Paul planned. I think that would be what is, uh, we can learn from him and be a lot more biblical to do that. So, I think one of it, if you remember, we saw last week, and just if you want to turn there just for a brief moment, in James chapter 4 which was, is believed to be the first book that was written in the New Testament. We organize it according to topic, just like the Old Testament we do. But if you remember last week, we saw that and how we, the plan, the design that we need to have. And we remember we saw how not to plan and so on. But I think most of us do what's in verse 13 of James 4, when it says, Come you say, today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such city, spend a year there, engage in business, and make a profit. Now we have all this set up, right? We're going to, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go here. We're going to make money and do all this stuff. How many of you have had all these things set up and it didn't work out quite that way? Notice what it tells you then the problem. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or do that. So we make plans. Nothing wrong with making plans. We're told to make plans. But I think what's important is we need to recognize 
allow God to change the plans. And how many of us fight to change? In fact, I would dare to say probably the hardest thing most of us face is change. And I think the older we get, the harder change is. And if you don't like change, then the only thing, solution you have is leave this world. Because change is, is happening. Continually happening. Uh, how many of them fought the revolution, the, uh, the inventions of all your different things? How many people, you know, automobile or anything else? Uh, computer, you name it. We've, so stop and think about it. Do I plan and how rigid are your plans? You ever made plans and no matter what, I'm not changing them? How well do you accept detours or road closures? If you don't like them, good luck in Tulsa. <laughs> I have said before, what's our state flower? <laughs> it, it, they say it's mistletoe, but mistletoe, but I swear it's the orange cone. I mean, I read it there. I mean, it's amazing. So notice then we have the plan that we have, the plan that is designed. But the plan, I think, also when you look at Paul's life, is a flawed plan he had at the beginning. And this is just, since we've been going through the book of Acts, it's just a review. But you remember, his originally, he thought when he went to persecute Christians, who did he think he was serving? He thought he was serving God. In Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9, he was persecuting, putting him in prison, having him killed, you name it. But I think, you know, we get so hard on him, but how many of us think we're serving the Lord, but we're actually going against him and what he wants? And so I think it's important. That can happen to an advice. How many times do people ask you for advice? Are we giving them the advice that God wants for them, or are we telling them something just the opposite? And so I think it's important, do I see and to serve in the plan as I see it, or as God sees it? Isn't that what Moses did? After when he was 40, he wanted to lead the children of Israel out, but it wasn't God's time and it wasn't God's way. Had they done it when Moses was trying to do it, it would have been a bloodbath. Nor would they have taken the wealth of Egypt with them. And I think a lot of times you and I can do the same. What about with Joseph? He interprets the dreams for the two, remember? And he says, remember me? Had God, or had he got out at that time, what would have happened two years later when, when Pharaoh has the dream and they need someone to interpret it, how would the person know to where to find Joseph? He would have been out of prison and there's no telling and you never would have been able to find him. But when you're in the prison, how do you think, by the way, he served the Lord faithfully everywhere he was at. And even when he got him out, what did Joseph say? You need to find an intelligent, trustworthy, faithful person to do this. He never said, get me. For all Joseph knows, Pharaoh is going to put him back into prison. So I think about it. One is the planning design. Make plans, but realize God can change it. The second one is, how many of us have some flawed plans? We make things, but we don't allow God to have any part of it. And I think, so let's look at some planning and responding to changes that you have occurring. You know, think about it in the life of Paul. And if you remember in Acts chapter 11, you remember Paul comes to know Christ. He then is sent off. He was in uh, 
Arabia for three years. He then goes off to Tarsus. So we're talking about almost 13 years later, 11 to 13 years, somewhere in there. And you have great growth going on in Antioch. And you stop and you think about it in Acts 11, when you have this great growth that's taking place, and remember Barnabas is up there. And so notice you find this in chapter 11 and verse 24. Uh, For he was a good man, we're talking about Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Alright? With things going well in Antioch? But it's growing so much that Barnabas needs help. So he goes to get Paul. So I think one thing you have, growth and a needing for assistance. Or it could be other things. How many of us are at a place where we need assistance? Whatever it might be. But when that happens, is that going to change the role that Barnabas has? What about with Paul? He's at Tarsus. How do you how do you not know it's not going really well? What happens when somebody comes up and says, Hey, I want you to go do this? That's a change. That's a move. Everything's taken. It's a constant change. You look in Paul's life, and the one thing that was consistent was change. Constantly, constant change. And change is hard. But I want you to think about it. I think when you look at this, the growth and needing assistance. We're all going to be in that time. How many of you are at a place now where you have some changes that are happening even with you? Like I said, my plan was to be there 10 years. I was then going to go on to, at the refinery, and I was going to go back to doing yards, and then uh, going into ministry, going overseas, doing different things. Well, that didn't turn out quite that way. And now, physically, I can't go back to doing yards full-time. You know, After you've had heat strokes and had other stuff, and people find you passed out in yards, it just doesn't go over well. Customer found me there. My daughter found me in the yard. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, things happen. Change. And we may not like it. So when you think about it, am I a lone ranger? And do it alone or with my faithful sidekick? Change will occur. How are you going to handle it? I think it's important for all of us. So notice that's what's going on with Paul. Then you have in chapter 13, which we also saw, chapter 13, you have there at Antioch, still there, and things are going well. And notice in verse 2 and 3, While they are ministering to the Lord, fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work for which I have called them. Then when they prayed, fasted, and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. God directed them to expand the ministry. Did you tell them where he's taking them? What does it say? Set apart for a work which I've called them. Does he say what it is? No. Alright. How are they going to finance it? How are they going to do it? You stop and you think about this. Put yourself in their place. God is directing them to expand the ministry. Alright. There's still capable men at Antioch to take care of it. But how would you like it if you were at Antioch? Would you like to lose Barnabas? And would you like to lose Saul or Paul? What would you be? Would you be upset with losing those two men? Notice they immediately <coughs> did what God said. It's also noticed, I think it's interesting, they were serving where they were at. 
They also are called while they're in their personal quiet time. I think a lot of people say, I'll do things for the Lord. Well, start with where you're at. Serve where you're at. And in your personal quiet time, the Lord will help direct you if there's a change you need to take place. And if God is changing for somebody else, how many of us are supporting Him? Most of the time when God is directing somebody else to do something, it affects us and what do we do? We get upset because we're losing somebody who's very good with what they do, whatever it might be. But think about it. Do I circle the wagons or prepare for the journey? I think a lot of times people like the small intimacy that we have, and that's good, but if God was wanting us to double or triple in size over the next year, how would we respond? Because we would certainly have differences if if that occurred. So notice we have the plan design. You make plans, but realize God can change them. Uh, We sometimes make plans that have nothing to do with what the Lord wants us to do. But when we are doing what God wants us to do, there's going to be a a need for change. And there's going to be a need for expansion. When you get to Acts 15, what happens in Acts 15, if you remember the... Jews are wanting the Gentiles to do certain things, and there's a, a great debate, and so they have what's called the Jerusalem Council, 49 AD, and they come up with conclusions that everyone needs to abide by, and so now they've had this. The churches had representation, Gentiles and the uh, Jewish churches, and so now they need to get the word back to the people. So notice when you get down to verse 36 of Acts 15, <coughs> Notice it says, and some days, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brethren to every city in which we proclaimed the word and see how they are. All right, they want to go back and visit them, obviously, which I greatly admire, Paul, which I mentioned before. What happened in most of the cities that he was at on that first missionary journey? What happened to him? Persecution. 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 People came to know Christ, but persecution. All right, if you got out of the city after persecution, how many of you are saying, hey, Glenn, let's go back and visit those cities that about killed me? <laughs> now, you think about it, he cares more about the people and their spiritual growth than about his personal safety. They need to have a follow up and discipleship and checking on them. They also need to know what the Jerusalem Council said, they need instructions. So notice the plan was good, but notice we notice what happens. Barnabas wants to take John Mark, and Paul insisted that he should not because he deserted him. So in 39, there arose a sharp disagreement. The word there for sharp is the same thing that's used for sharpening tools. And I want you to think about that personal conflict. Is that going to happen when you have any type of ministry? Any relationship you will have conflict. But what I want you to stop and learn some things from this. Personal conflict changed the team, but not the ministry. I think that's critical. The ministry was still there. And what happens so often, personal conflict stops the ministry. And so what happens, just think about it. When one leaves or defects, carry on. Are people going to leave? For whatever reason, right or wrong, defected, 
you know, you think about it when you look at the end of uh, when Paul's life, everyone deserted him except for one for different reasons. Desertion will take place. Or the Lord's directing him like he does others to go other places. Uh, second thing, in every conflict involving an issue, notice this wasn't a doctrinal issue. Doctrine's a different story. But notice in every conflict involving an issue, there are opposing viewpoints. Can you understand Paul's viewpoint? I mean, John was there, we really needed his help, and when we really needed him, what happened? He left. We take him along this time, he'll probably do the same thing. That would be Paul's viewpoint. Barnabas being an encourager, hey, he's learned his lesson, he's going to be true, he'll be with us. You can understand both sides. You really can. And so I think it's important. Each side usually has some validity. And I think we need to look at that. Also, usually somebody gets hurt. So what can we learn from the when there's personal conflicts? You notice that he takes John Mark and they go off to Cyprus. And Paul then selects Silas. Some lessons we can learn. Try to see the other viewpoint. How many times have we ever tried to see the other side? Or how many of us are simply coming up with all the reasons why our side's right? Think about in a relationship you have with your spouse or family. Are we only thinking about our side? When they're telling you their side, how many of us are even listening? They're telling you their side, and how many of us are already in our minds coming up with the next thing we're about to say? Have we ever stopped to say, let me see, Don, is this what you're trying to say? What happens quite often, Don will say, no, no, I, I mean this. And then quite often, when we understand the other side, it can really stop. But usually, we never hear them. We never even let them finish. We're just working on our side so much. What happens? This conflict just escalates and escalates and escalates. I think an interesting one, which I don't listen to uh, a number of years ago, my children or daughters especially were listening to certain type of music, so I wanted to know what they're listening to, so I got their radio station started listening to their music. And one song that was on there was by Diamond Rio, Meet in the Middle, you know the song? There's 600 fence posts between your house and mine. We both start walking, meeting in the middle. I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, we get a lot of things accomplished when I start walking your way and you start walking mine and we can meet in the middle. Second thing I think, would, if it can't be resolved, what about this? Agree to disagree without becoming disagreeable. Two good examples you have in our history. Who was our second and our third president of the United States? Who? Adams and... Do you realize they were diametrically opposed politically in their views? But they were the very best of friends. In fact, they both died on the same day. How is it that they can be diametrically opposed politically, but they were welcomed in each other's homes and were the best of friends? They respected each other's opinions. Okay. Same thing happened with... When you look at Wakefield and Wesley, you have one staunch Calvinist, one staunch... Uh, Wesleyan or Arminian but they were the very best of friends 
In fact, they said of each other, if I could be half the man that he is, I would consider myself successful. Now that is how we can do it. We can agree to disagree. Chuck Swindoll and his brother Orwell, same thing. Tremendous respect for each other. They do not agree on, on the doctrinal issue. But they both will speak very, very highly of each other. Have utmost respect. We can do the same. We can do the same. We don't need to be shooting down a fellow believer. So stop and you think about it. Another lesson, we have new opportunities. Instead of having one team, we have how many? We now have two teams. Good can come out of it. New opportunities. So think about it. What lessons have I learned from conflict or change in ministry? I think we have really, because we will have a change. We will have things to honestly look at. Another one, what about in Acts, we saw that in, uh, you look on a little bit further in Acts 16. What about in verse 6 to verse 8? So Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's going visiting these different places. And he's, uh, so not only a change in a team or expanding ministry, and he's visiting. And notice in verse 6, and in verse 7, while they're visiting, they try to go to locations, and what happens? How many locations did they try to go to? Four. I'll, let, I'll allow you to pronounce the names. <laughs> I found that when I don't, and you know, I'm not very good at pronunciation, just stop at the verse before and pick up at the verse afterward and know what <laughs> But stop and think about it. They're following the Holy Spirit. They're going to the different churches. Now they come to four locations and they try to go here. God says no. They try to go here and God says no. They try to go to the third one. God says no. They try to go to the fourth one. God says Anybody relate? So what do they do? Notice then in verse 9 and 10, they're praying about it, and God reveals a person from Macedonia, which by the way, they were never considering Macedonia. They had never been to Macedonia. They're in Asia Minor. Macedonia is Greece. Do you think there's any animosity between Asia Minor, you know, the Trojan horse, you know, <laughs> they've been battling each other for centuries. You stop and you think about it. Now what happens if you go over there? He says to go. What's there? I mean, we know there's people there, but how are you going to support? Where are you going to stay? You have so many questions. Notice what happens in verse 10. And when he had seen the vision, talking about Paul, immediately we. Now who's we? Paul, who is, who is we? Luke, you have Luke, Silas, and so on, Timothy. We concluded that God called us to go there, and they left. As soon as they're told, this is what we need to do, no hesitation, they go. Now, I think it's important when you stop and you think about it, God closes a door and He opens another. Did they apply James chapter 4? We're going to go visit the cities. We're going to go revisit the churches. They're going along visiting the churches, and then what happens? It was interesting, too. They didn't do it until they got all the way up to Asia Minor. 
just across the, the sea from Greece. That's when the Holy Spirit said, now, instead of going east, I want you to go west. If you stop and you think about it, I think it's interesting they applied it. God answered them, and they went. Did God tell them exactly where in Macedonia to go? Macedonia has a pretty good size of location. But because he went there, you had Lydia, which by the way, the first convert you have was Lydia, a Gentile believer. Comes. You also had, what about the Philippian jailer? Have you ever heard of Thessalonica? What about Corinthians, Corinth? Because of all this, that's why these visit places were visited and why we have 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He later they went back to Ephesus and wrote Ephesians. Again, you think about all these changes that take place. He closes the door and he opens another. How long were they sitting there waiting? I don't know. Was it a day? Was it a week? It'd have to be a while because they had four locations they tried to go to. And I think it's interesting too, they would have to have presented those locations and presented to the Lord and allowed the Lord to then speak to them about yes or no. We often just think this all happens in a matter of ten minutes or whatever it might be. So you stop and you think about it. Am I opening to God, closing a door, and changing directions? Especially if it's a door you want. How many of us have this door we really want, and we then do what? The door is closed, so what do, we, what do we do? We try to kick it down, we try to climb through a window, we try to go through a back door, we try to do all kinds of things. I want you to think about it, but you look at it. What happens then, you look in the book of Acts, just go over then to, if you would, just for chapter 23. Paul, you remember he takes his money sorry, from the, the churches, and he goes down and he uh, presents it at Jerusalem and then he gets arrested. And what's his, uh, if you are in the book of Romans, which you have it, which, uh, let's just go there first. I didn't have it on there, but Romans chapter 15. Let's look at what Paul's plan is. You remember, he has a plan, but what happens? In Romans 15, we've seen this before. He's bringing this money down and starting in Romans 15. In verse 22, he tells you why he hasn't been to Rome first. And I think it's important when you think about if Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, what's the most important Gentile city in the world? Rome. Then if you were a Gentile, would you have a question? If you were the apostle to the Gentiles, why haven't you been here? Paul answers it. For this reason, I have often been hindered from coming. The reason is he doesn't want to go where the gospel has already been presented and there are many believers already in Rome. The gospel's already there. They already have an established church. They're already doing it. But notice what he says but verse 23. But now with no further place for me in these regions, what region he's talking about? He's talking about Greece. He's talking about Asia Minor. He's been to all them. And since I've had many years longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, I hope to see you in passing. So he wants to go to Spain. There's no known believers in Spain and I want to go there. Which you stop and think, how old is Paul getting by now? 
So Paul's plan is, I want to go to Spain, and after I drop this money off Jerusalem, I'm just going to stop by Rome and see you, and then I'm on to Spain. And you think about it, what happens? He's in, he's in Jerusalem, and what happens? He gets arrested. So when you look at it in Acts, back to Acts then, uh, in verse 23, chapter 23, he was arrested earlier and he has all these defenses uh, before whether it's Felix or uh, Pont, you know, whoever, Pontius, whatever it might be, he's in the forum and they each are waiting for Paul to give them money. They want to be bribed and Paul doesn't bribe them. And uh, so he does one defense and they about to tear him apart in Acts 23. So notice at night, in Acts 23 and verse 11, you think about it, they're trying to kill you. And so that night, immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you'll also witness at Rome. Okay, so he's going to go to Rome, and but he's going to go as what? Prisoner. A prisoner. Can he go where and come as he wants? Is he going to go on to Spain? He's a prisoner. And when you stop and you think about it, God changes his direction and he now causes Paul to have to sit. But while he's there, he's there for two years at house arrest. According, when you look at it in, the, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, it says that the Praetorian Guard, many of them came to know the Lord and they were bolder in their testimony. If Paul hadn't have gone there, would the Praetorian Guard heard the truth? No. Okay? Also, while Paul is there, what does he do? He writes. He writes. What does he write? What does Paul write while he's there? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. If he had gone on to Spain, would he have time to have written those? <coughs> Paul's desire was to stop by, give the money, and go on to Spain. God's desire was, no, I want you to preach to the Criterion Guard, and I want you to sit with a pen and a piece of paper and address these churches that need your help. And Paul gladly did it. What happens when God makes changes in our life? Not what we want. And I think it's important when you look at it. What happened? So he, while he was there, did he pout? I'm sure there was discouragements, but notice, he was there, he took it as an opportunity to preach. He preached the truth. Obviously he practiced it too because they could see it. And they wanted what he had. He then writes those letters. And I think about it. So you stop and think about it. Why would God direct him? Obviously, the Praetorian Guard needed to come to know the Lord. And how many of you would have been really happy? Because what was the Praetorian Guard and the Romans doing to your fellow believers? So if I don't tell them the truth and they die, where is the Praetorian Guard going? So you stop and you think about it. You think about the conflicts. Do I want to tell them about the truth so they could go to heaven after what all they've done to my family and my you know, spiritual family or my you know, Jewish nation? You stop and you think about it. We need to be the same type of person. So you look at it, I think it's interesting. 
Hermits are willing to preach. I say preach, tell the truth. Practice. Is there a letter you need to write? Is there somebody you need to help? You say, well, I can't write. If the Holy Spirit is laying on your heart to write, you can write to whoever you need to write to. In fact, I dare to bet if I go to any one of your homes, how many of you have different little things that are pinned up from a grandkid or anything else? The spelling may not have been the greatest. The little coloring may not have been the best or the painting. But how many of you hold that with the, as high a regard as anything else that's hung in your home? We could do the same to different people. So think about the changing that you have, the planning that happens. We need to plan. There's nothing wrong with planning. God tells us to, but we need to allow what? God to change it. And God, how many of us want our ministry to expand? How many of you like it just a little way we, you have, whatever it might be? All right, Shelly, I want you to stop being a teacher. I want you to go into administration. I want you to lead to different schools. And then, oh. <laughs> okay? You know, same thing that happened with any one of us. I'm not saying that God would do that, but at the same time, I think most of us are not open to change on what it could be. And I think, that's what I've often heard, how many times has the world ever seen a person who's totally sold out for God? And I think it's interesting. So think about it. When you think about how much you're planning like Paul, you're, you're, you're ready to go. You're ready to preach anywhere. You're ready for change. You accept change. You move on as soon as it's said. If it's preaching, if it's writing, if it's praying, you're ready to do any of it. And we need to do the same. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday School for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.